0: Hello everyone, thank you all for tuning in, Uh, it's Hatem and Ayal from GK, the founders of GK Tech Group actually, and uh, we're happy to host uh, our webinar, Uh, I've been doing this for a couple months, for a few months now actually, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, some of the disruption today, we're going to talk about uh, who are the winners,
1: Um, Ayal you want to kind of maybe recap a little bit about what we did, what we're doing? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, for those of you who you know were with us through uh, April, May, you saw a few of our webinars um, about technology um, and how they're going to dominate in the COVID era. Um, we've obviously seen that come to pass over the last six months. Um, a lot of the stuff that we talked about—big, big companies getting bigger, big technology getting bigger—and um, that has come to pass. Um, and so, we're here to talk a little bit today about some of the things that we can look at, not just you know the big tech names that everyone knows, Apple and Google, et cetera, but some of the other uh, ideas and possibly companies that might benefit in a, in a current and post-COVID world.
0: Yeah, so basically the idea is, is COVID-19 has impacted every aspect of our lives. We're, and my firm at least, we're, we're basically all of our business on Zoom. Uh, companies like Microsoft have basically said that two years of digital transformations that are happening in two months. And this has happened in, in all industries, ubiquitous, basically. Yeah. Um, so I know, so not only is ubiquitous, but it's across the globe. And we've never seen a time where everything had to, had to change so fast at the same time. Yeah, um, and, and as a result, a lot of companies, uh, work, work, the nature of work has changed. Companies, organizations have to change. Mm -hmm. They need a comprehensive solution for their processes, for communication, for collaborations. And it all has to happen under a foundation of privacy and security. So it's really
1: a lot if you think about it, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, the online transformation has been incredible. You know, I was, I, you know, going through a lot of these companies, you obviously have companies like Microsoft, like you talked about, who who are poised for digital transformation. Then you have companies that people don't really think about like Nike and Target um, retail, like Nike's digital sales grew over 80% year over year, uh, Target over a hundred percent. And then of course, Zoom, which we all know and use, you know, every day now, their revenue increased over 350% um, since last year. So this, this trend is going to happen across all businesses. And just like everything when it comes to innovation and disruption, if you're not adapting, you're dying. And if you are adapting and if you have been able to jump on the digital bandwagon, then you're actually flourishing in this, in this environment.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, with that, with that being said, we, we're going we're gonna to have two
0: really amazing speakers, guests today to speak, speak to that. Yeah. Um, uh, we're going to have Devin and Pedro from GlobalX. GlobalX is an ETF provider and, a, and a, a partner of ours that we use, and they are really an expert in, in thematic investing. And what thematic investing means is just they invest in, 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 in strategically in, in different sectors and, and, and provide resources and tools to figure out how, which sectors to invest in and why and so forth. It's yeah. really right in line with how GK works and, and what we, how we do things. We're yeah. not, uh, we're, we don't believe in just owning everything at the same time. Uh, we want to be tactically owning different things at different times of, 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 of the cycle and so forth. Um, so global X been 2008, I think. Um, uh, again, another disruption. We have Pedro mm-hmm. and uh, Devin here. Um, both. Yeah. Welcome guys. Yeah, welcome guys. Thank you for joining
1: us. Thanks for having us guys. Yeah.
2: I do, uh,
1: for having us. Yeah. <laughs> of course. So I I do kind of want for one second want to you know want to talk about how Gerber Kawasaki and Global X kind of think along the same lines is our, our base philosophy of investing is what we call index plus alpha. Um, meaning, we look at sectors of the market. We look at individual companies, and we really want to find you know the areas of the market that are that are poised for growth, right? And not just kind of look at okay, let's own everything. Um, and Global X really does provide that kind of value for us. And, and, and we're looking to look kind of like how was saying, thematic investing, because we did you know we've all we've all seen that Apple has gone from a trillion dollars to two trillion dollars. Uh, you know the so-called Fang names have been in vogue for a while, but these companies are you know are huge now. These four big tech, five big tech companies now make up twenty five percent of the overall market. So we got to try to find opportunities in other areas, the next Apple, the next Google, et cetera. And this is kind of a great starting point. so so kind of we'll let Pedro and Devin um, you know introduce themselves and, and what Global X is all about.
2: Yeah, very excited to be here today, uh, talking about uh, technologies that I'm passionate about, that our firm is passionate about. Uh, I'm a director with GlobalX. I'm based in California, just on the west side here. Uh, Pedro, I believe you are in New York, probably a little chillier there today. But a big uh, component of our business at GlobalX, we are really focused on identifying macro level trends and the fourth industrial revolution comes to mind for the bulk of these conversations. So we'll talk a little bit about which trends benefited during the stay-at-home economy. Then we'll talk a little bit about which trends have seen the biggest consumer adoption as we sort of shift and transition away from just the stay-at-home economy and a little bit more towards what we like to call the reopening economy. So very excited to be here today and kind of chat about a few of these topics. I think it's very important to kind of give a little bit of framework for how we think about this. Again, we're an ETF company, we are an asset manager, and we have a number of different verticals, but a big component of our business is thematic investing. Simply put, and it's really great to, to work with GK, obviously we're GX, Global X, um, we, we think along the same lines, and there's a number of parallels between our investment landscape. Thematic investing, and that's what we'll talk about today. It's really a forward-looking investment approach that is the process of identifying powerful macro-level trends and then looking to understand which companies are going to benefit as those trends start to materialize. That can range from esports, IoT, 5G, robotics, cloud computing, fintech. We'll talk about a number of those. But it is in somewhat of a contrast to traditional portfolio construction and portfolio management. Uh, Traditional portfolio construction tends to be backward-looking. It assumes that history may or may not repeat itself we I mean, you're trying to identify uh, different sorts of data and see if there's any consistency or inconsistencies with that data uh, that you can take advantage of, it's a great way to run a portfolio. Compliments that we do quite well, we're forward-looking. We understand that the next time will be different. These are long-term global growth-oriented strategies, so you will see that there's quite a bit of a difference between some of the names that we hold and some of the names that you see other managers tend to hold. To come up with that, Uh, We have a a framework for identifying and categorizing which themes are investable. This is a compilation of data and research that we read from academic sources, the World Economic Forum, Bain, BCG, Goldman Sachs. And you can see we break it into category, mega theme, theme, and then sub-theme. There's technology, there's people, there's demographic, there's environment, and there's all sorts of themes in there. There's really three key criteria that we look for. If we are going to launch an ETF and if we really want and believe that a theme is going to you know, really come to fruition. Uh, the first would be conviction. I talk a lot about FinTech when I think about conviction. I can't stand going to the bank. It takes way too much time. The business continuity isn't there for me. The time is really excessive. And COVID-19, I, I don't want to handle cash, and I don't, frankly, need to handle cash. So if you think about a structural shift that we have a lot of conviction in, Financial services is going digital. It has been for some time, and you're seeing massive acceleration as a result of that. Another key criteria that we think about is time frame. So think about uh, you know, some of the fads that kind of come and go. We don't want to build a portfolio or a strategy for two, three years. We want to build a portfolio for 10, 20, 30 years down the line to make sure that we can maximize any sort of growth and return potential. I think a lot about robotics when I think about that. The guys at TK, they are experts on the street for all things autonomous vehicles and electric vehicles. These car manufacturers are relying heavily on robotics for a consistent reason. You can shore up your supply chain and you can integrate and produce a lot faster with people working with machines as opposed to just people or just machines. So you can really see examples and after example of how this technology has significant adoption and significant benefits. And we'll dive into that a little bit. And then the last thing that we look for is really investability. We want 20 names. We want evidence that that sector is growing. We can have diversified exposure to that sector and we can take advantage of movements in that sector. So those are the three key criteria that we really think about when we're looking at launching a strategy or portfolio. And it's very, very similar again to what the the, the team at Gruber Kawasaki is doing. It's a good transition to talk about where we're coming from and where we believe we're going. Obviously, COVID-19 flipped the world upside down for a number of reasons, and we transitioned to a stay-at-home economy very quickly. My firm, GlobalX, we integrated cloud computing software effectively overnight. E-commerce sales were up year over year, roughly 44% in the second quarter, and you're seeing a couple key things coming to fruition here as we shift to the reopening. Now, our firm, what we would like to do is really target sectors as they begin to grow, in the early adoption phase. And technology has a concept called the diffusion of innovation theory. I call it the S curve in English. And the S curve just stands to the position that most themes have a certain adoption curve. And that adoption curve will be accelerated or decelerated based on macro level trends. COVID 19 steepened that adoption curve and it scaled it upwards significantly. E commerce yep. is a fantastic example of that. Devin, Devin, let's so. Loved it. I love this slide
0: because I think with COVID-19, right, we didn't have a choice. It's not like, oh, you know, one day we'll just hey, let's adopt things, right? Mm-hmm. It happened. Everyone had to be home. It's it's really abrupt way of, of, of things to happen. And and what we find out is that a lot of businesses either adopted or not, right? And if you have the willingness to do so, you've done well, I think, to to. I we talk about this, you know the, people say the market is disconnected from the economy, not really, because a lot of the companies are doing well right now, in the market are the ones that just are either adopt have adopted or, or or are just very well disposed to 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 take advantage of this this disruption. So I think that's really some of the things that and you going through the stay at home economy versus the reopening economy would be really interesting for us.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're spot on. I believe there were 26 retail brick and mortar depths, uh, if you will, um, and this year so far. It's very sad. But if you don't adopt, your business may die. And we've seen countless examples of that. And uh, you've also seen different businesses start to diversify. You see Target and you see Walmart start to increase their digital presence. It's not because they wanted to, it's because they had to. And if they didn't, we know what would be happening. You can see Sears as an example of that. They're, they, you know uh, So, unfortunately, there are catalysts here for opportunities, and then there are catalysts here for things we, we really don't really want to associate ourselves with. And that's actually an awesome transition into the next slide. Uh, again, diffusion of innovation theory, or something I just like to call the S-curve of adoption, here are previous examples of different technologies and what their adoption curve really looks like. Now, we'll talk a little bit more today, and I'll pass it over to Pedro in a few minutes to talk about cloud and fintech and IOT and esports and robotics, but you can see that there are countless examples of technologies and over the years, it all kind of follows some similar trajectory. I think it's very interesting and relevant to talk about um, the era of of the Great Depression actually, not the COVID-19 is that, but it is a moment in time we're all going to remember this when we're talking to our grandkids in 50 years about what's happened and what life was like then and how certain things changed and adapted uh, today actually marks the seven month anniversary of the last in-person client meeting i did we're currently using cloud computing to host this webinar um so there's countless examples but take a look at the refrigerator back in the 1930s that was a very early nascent uh technology and some massive adoption And that was because folks needed to be able to store their consumer goods because it was cheaper than going to the grocery store. So when we look back in time, there's going to be countless examples of where that S-curve really just went up and to the right. Um, And we'll dive into a couple of those themes in, in, in just a moment here. But it's interesting to think about how quickly we've adapted. Our firm is using Zoom and Slack, and we effectively did that overnight. So it, it's very interesting. And you guys are spot on, which sort of brings me to my next point of where we are right now. And we, we believe we are in the reopening economy. The reopening economy will be defined by two things. Uh, the first one is safety and the second one is flexibility. I'm going to be working from home for some time, but at some point I will likely start seeing my clients again and we'll be going into the offices. Schools are starting to reopen. Business continuity is becoming a concept. Now, We had the the CARES Act, which is roughly $2 trillion of a a backbone to help us adapt and to get here. Now there will be a number of new themes that will benefit from connectivity, uh, robotics, and continued manufacturing that we're going to get to. But we we firmly believe we are in the reopening economy. And a couple of the key themes that my colleague Pedro is going to hit on uh, are are right here. Cloud computing, which is what we're currently doing. Internet of things. I, I actually stayed in a hotel for the first time recently. In a very long time and my phone was used to get into the hotel it was used to get into my room as a key card and that's how i controlled the remote control and the telephone inside the room that's an internet of things connected device application we'll talk a little bit about robotics and robotics manufacturing and how supply chains are reintegrating uh, with robotics so there's less contact there and then esports we all want to be entertained i'd rather be going to a lakers game not watching it on tv Um, but esports and digital communication entertainment in our opinion is it's a theme that is very likely poised to benefit as we continue to see um, people looking for ways to entertain themselves. So with that, I'm going to pass it over to my esteemed colleague, Pedro Palandrani. Uh, Pedro is an analyst covering technology, frequently cited in The Journal, uh, Bloomberg, and other various financial media. So Pedro, thanks for joining us today. And uh, here, here here you go with cloud computing.
3: Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you, guys, for having me today. Excited to to be here. So. Yeah, let's get into the meat of this presentation, You know, starting with the cloud computing team. I think it has been clear at this point that it's been a phenomenal year for cloud computing companies as we entered the work from home economy that you were describing, Devin. But that's, I guess, not new news anymore. And what we want to talk about today is the relevance of cloud computing as we reopen our economies and enter the new normal in the next few months or quarters. But as we go through these transitions, I think it is important to understand that cloud computing companies have become extremely ingrained in our way of working, uh, studying, and, in, and even allowing us to, 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 to maintain our social interactions. Um, before we get into the meat of cloud computing, uh, we wanted to start with the definition and segments that represent uh, the theme as a whole. So, you know, cloud computing basically provides on-demand availability of uh, computing resources, uh, any uh, any type of uh, data stored in uh, software programs. And thanks to the cloud, all of these resources can be accessed via our smartphones, lab, laptops, uh, basically anywhere at any time. So this is really different to on-premise software that used to be installed in our computers. Uh, and having access to that computer was probably the only way to access the software. So all of that has changed with cloud computing. And here we're breaking down the theme into five different segments. We, we really think that this is really important to, to think about. First, we have the software as a service seg- uh, segment, uh, the SaaS segment. You can think of Salesforce as, as a probably a great example uh, where all things related to CRM can be done. More recently, Zoom as you guys have mentioned, became the best example, uh, allowing us to to stay connected. Uh, We had the ability to to access the software from anywhere, uh, just with an internet connection. And really, the companies that deliver software-as-a-service applications are benefiting from very attractive business models, usually in the form of subscription base uh, with a strong generation of recurring revenue. So usually these companies charge a monthly subscription fee per user, uh, which really leads to business visibility and also what we're seeing today is great
1: retention rates. I, I want to you know, talk about that for a second because as as investors, we, we always look at SaaS companies because they're kind of the holy grail of, uh, of investing because of that recurring revenue. And I look at old school technology companies like Microsoft, Adobe, all these companies that we, I, I used to buy Microsoft Office for my computer and I had it for five to 10 years and never thought twice about it. And then somehow Microsoft has tricked me into thinking that I need it every year now and I have to pay a monthly subscription and, and be it Microsoft or Adobe or any of these old companies, the second they started using SaaS models, Boom, the stocks went to the, through the roof over the next five years. Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: I think it's really attractive, you know, and for us as investors, having the opportunity to get access to these software as a service companies is quite interesting because we really have visibility into what the company will look like, right? We know kind of what the customer base is. They have strong retention rates. And usually when you look at these companies, I love to look at the net dollar revenue retention rate. That's a ratio that measures the revenue generated by a cohort of clients plus any upgrades minus any churn rate all of that divided by the same revenue of the of the, of the period and usually these companies have a, an, um, that ratio to be over a hundred percent, meaning that they're actually upgrading and upselling the software to existing clients rather than seeing clients actually uh, dropping their subscription services. So again, as as investors, I think it's really attractive uh, what these companies have to offer. Um, but moving on, there are four other segments, at some degree uh, with some similarities. I'll go quite quickly here. We have platform as a service companies. You can think of Twilio. Uh, They're a communication platform as a service company. Um, You know, every time we order a Lyft or an Uber and and we get messages or calls, all of those communications between the driver and the rider are happening via that communication platform. So basically these are cloud resources that are supported uh, by other applications. We also have the infrastructure as a service companies. These are public cloud companies like Amazons, AWS, Google Cloud, IBM, Microsoft Azure, Alibaba Cloud. The fourth group here is is the, the a data center reads. They, they basically provide a, the behind the scenes infrastructure and real estate to the companies that I mentioned before, the Amazons of the world. And lastly, we Pedro, have- Pedro, before you move on, like sure. I want to say this because
0: you know, the cloud is basically a bunch of data centers, right? And I saw I think two weeks ago, I saw that Microsoft is building data center in the ocean underwater. So I thought it was weird because we spent like basically the last ten years explaining to people what the cloud is. And now we have to tell them that the cloud is underwater.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, that's actually that's actually accurate. Uh, One of the main costs of data center maintenance is the cooling systems. You have no idea how much money is actually going to keep these data centers cool, the servers cool. So having these data centers underwater actually helps to keep the cooling system, like a natural cooling system, if you wish. So that reduces significantly the cost. But uh, yeah, that's that's quite fascinating. All right, um, you know, without digging too deeply, I think that it is clear that you know businesses, individuals like ourselves, really rely on cloud infrastructure uh, and software more than ever.
1: Uh, so going Sorry, through had, the- real quick, uh, the last the last one you had there, and I think it's one that people are less familiar with, is the is the edge computing, right? So, yeah. so as everything's gone to the cloud and everything's gone you know, away from our hard drives, Edge is kind of like a, almost like a hybrid from my understanding of, of the cloud and local storage. So can you talk a little bit about Edge computing? Uh, NVIDIA likes to talk a lot about Edge um, with their GPUs and all this stuff. So can you give us a little bit of a background on that?
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, essentially, as you can see here, that's a fifth group that we include within our cloud computing ETF. Uh, as we look at the future and we start seeing 5G connections proliferating, we're going to need a kind of a network connectivity to be closer to each other. That's going to drive cloud computing to actually also be a kind of close to the network. So that means that our smartphones, any connected device that we own is going to be somehow connected uh, to the cloud in a way that it's going to allow us to, to have lower latency. Latency means a delay in data communication. So we're really going to be able to disrupt the old model of having just data centers miles and miles away from us kind of all the transactions are going to happen next to us, and that's going to increase significantly the speed of operation. So if you start thinking about autonomous vehicles, robotic surgery, all of that requires it, transactions to happen in just milliseconds. So edge computing is really going to help that happen, right? Otherwise, if you're going to have your autonomous vehicle send a command to a data center miles and miles away from from where you are, those milliseconds, it can really be uh, something that is very important, right? So you really need to reduce that latency as much as possible and edge computing will, will help out with that. Awesome.
2: Yeah, and one thing, so Pedro and I um, attended the Consumer Electronics Show this year. It's something, it's an annual trip at Global Accent. Uh, we got to see some of the supercomputers, and ATEM, they, uh, they are installed into very large cooling units that are likely ideal for underwater. So the edge might also be underwater along with the cloud. A little ironic point there, but uh, nonetheless, it's really cool. Bye.
3: All right. Um, moving on here, guys. Uh, you know, Clearly, at the onset of the pandemic, I think we all saw a drastic uptick in interest around remote working, uh, jobs especially, uh, and related services, as it, it is evident by this chart. On the top left chart, we clearly saw a huge pickup in data usage during the first half of the year. And then the bottom left chart shows upstream data traffic growth, and that's Data that users are uploading to the cloud, which again reinforces that the fact that we all have had to increase, increase the, the use of cloud video conference, conferencing, cloud-based VPN to securely access a uh, uh, share files uh, which are stored in our in our company's clouds, and even this webinar today is happening over the cloud, right? all of this growth has been reflected in the company's recent results and i love this chart if you look at the the chart on the right the software as a, the software as a service quarter over quarter and year over year sales growth uh, what we're seeing here is that the group as a whole has continued to show growth relative to the s&p 500 companies uh, that basically as you can see have experienced a decline in top uh, top line revenue so if you look at the navy blue colors and the orange colors for Q2 2020, uh, you can see that the software as a service companies actually continue to grow their revenue even during the first half of the year. That was very challenging for
1: many companies in the S&P 500. To that point, just to give a little bit more color on that, you know, the market everyone thinks is doing so phenomenally well. The NASDAQ, which is obviously tech heavy, is up 25% for the year. The rest of the the overall market is down five percent. If you strip out the big five tech names, the market's actually down for the year. And if you're a small company, anything under you know two billion dollars as they like to classify it, that that index is actually down five percent for the year. So to your point here, and, and what we've been saying is, right? If you're big, if you're technologically savvy, if you're software as a service, you're you're this is a boon for your business. Um, and if you're not unfortunately you're seeing you know you're seeing the other side of that this is what this is what they tried to get into in the debate right the so-called k-shaped k-shaped recovery um if anyone could say anything in the debate um we we kind of got into that (laughs) (laughs) for sure awesome um and you know
3: this is what has happened over the last couple of quarters but you know as investors we'll we all want to better understand a, what the future looks like, right? And if we move to the next slide, Evan, please, you know, the new normal as it refers to working conditions is most likely going to be on a hybrid way with, you know, employees working remotely more often and, you know, more meetings are likely to be held over the cloud uh, and I think employers, uh, for the first time ever, are actually offering some flexibility around remote working. Uh, so, looking at what we know about the future, we can see that many companies have already announced that they will allow employees to 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 continue to work remotely. One group actually told uh, employees that they could work from home until twenty twenty one. And here we can see six high profile companies with about. 300,000 employees, and that includes Google, Warner Music, Amazon's corporate office, and, and a few others, as you can see there. And there's another group that actually told employees that they could work remotely permanently. And just these six companies have about 70,000 corporate employers, employees. excuse me. So, you know, this is a very small sample size but combined these companies have about 400,000 employees and are expecting to, to, to continue at some degree to, to, to allow their workers to, to work remotely. And these are high profile companies, but you know many other companies have approached the working situation in, in a similar fashion. And we would expect to see in the future a hybrid work environment. Um, on the right-hand side, we're actually going to see that this is something employees uh, actually have shown preference for. Um, as you can see there, we, we, we gather some, some results from a recent survey that shows that employees are showing an increase in the willingness to work from home post-COVID-19. So before before COVID-19, employees were asked about their preferences to to work from home. And these results were compared with a survey post-COVID. And there are significant changes. For example, two that uh, actually uh, are quite relevant here. Prior to COVID-19, only 9% of employees wanted to work from home five days per week. That number increased to 16% post-COVID-19. The greatest delta actually happened uh, with the hybrid approach that I was just talking about. If you look at the number of employees that prior to COVID-19 wanted to work from home two to three days per week, they accounted for only about 10%. Post-COVID-19, the story changed completely. Now we have about 40% of employees having a preference to work from home around two to three days per week. So uh, I think this really shows how sticky uh, these behaviors can be, and why we're still going to continue to rely on, on cloud computing to support, in this case, work. But the same applies uh, to to many other activities that we do in, a, in in our everyday lives. So, so, Pedro, like to that to that vein, I think two things come to my
0: mind. One is security, right? Like if, if everyone is at home, right, using their own computers and stuff, how important is security there, right? And then two sell your commercial real estate, right? I mean, <laughs> you're
3: in New York, so <laughs> you're probably more than we are. For sure, no, yeah, absolutely. I think those are areas that will continue to be important and have investment opportunities. I think not only cloud computing, but if you start looking at internet of things or connected devices as a whole, you're going to see a huge proliferation. Actually, we're going to talk about that in a second, but the more connected devices we all have, the more opportunities for a cyber attack to happen. So cybersecurity will for sure continue to increase. We talked pretty much quite often to chief information officers across many industries and their top priority continues to be cybersecurity spending. So that's why you may continue to see a kind of cybersecurity within IT spending to continue to grow in the in the years to come. I'm curious if
1: you know we have a lot of uh, you know to Hatem to your point about commercial real estate kind of you know left holding the bag. Do we do you guys think we see a repurposing of a lot of this real estate to logistics for be it e-commerce or data centers or things like that? Knowing, I mean, we work across the street from a building that that probably houses thousands of employees that's still empty completely six months later, uh, seven months later, whatever the number is, like if that's a year or two years, at what point does the landlord start to go, okay, maybe this is not the right model for us. Maybe we need to repurpose some of this.
3: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that, infrastructure as a whole will see also a significant transformation, not only around that, but even autonomous vehicles, what's going to happen with all these parking space that we have around the the country, right? All of that will be repurposed, maybe warehouses for e-commerce, maybe data centers. uh, So we all have kind of the ability to connect or to have our connections happening closer to each other. So I think... uh, Without a doubt, infrastructure is is going to change in the next decade for sure. Uh, I'm excited to see what, what, what what's going to look like.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I would say last thing on the cloud before we hit on IOT for any viewers, um, we had uh, two internet connection issues right before this. So we continue <laughs> to rely on the cloud security <laughs> Security is very important and we are that much more dependent upon it. So it needs to be continued to be invested in um, because we almost crashed five minutes before we went live today. <laughs> <You know?
3: laughs> yeah. All right. Awesome. So, well, a great transition we're actually, for Internet of Things, Pedro. So I think that should, that should be a good backdrop. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, you, you guys made it easy to me. But yeah, the the, the the Internet of Things team, you know, starting as well at a, at a at a high level, I think that IoT refers to the idea that everyday devices can be connected to the Internet and be smart. You know, and without getting too deep into the definition, we can see here that many estimates have connected devices reaching about 75 billion by 2025 from about 25, uh, 25 26 billion last year. That is a 3x growth rate in a period of uh, six to seven years, right? So I was just mentioning the growth or the proliferation of connected devices and what that means for security. But clearly, there is also an opportunity here uh, for connected devices, right? We have a few kind of tailwinds supporting this trend. We have rapidly failing cost, and I'm going to talk about that in just a second. We also have growing commercial adoption, you know, even outside the industrial segment. Now we see cheap semiconductors, microprocessors in multiple devices from multiple industries, you know, even from microwaves, light bulbs, doorbells to kind of uh, high-end technologies like robotic surgery, autonomous and electric vehicles, and the list just goes on. Consumer behaviors are also changing quite a bit and favoring smart and connected devices. You know, given that the cost differential uh, between a smart product and a non-smart product is very, very low, it is making the decision easy for consumers to to tilt their behaviors to favor um, a smart and connected devices. And of course, we talked a little bit about 5G, but the 5G rollout is also uh, expected to be a huge tailwind for, for internet of things, right? and as we look at these sub segments uh, that could potentially benefit from from this proliferation of connected devices we have also identified a few a few uh, segments i mentioned before connected device manufacturers and that includes uh, smart equipment uh, vehicle and infrastructure manufacturers as well uh, also and absolutely semiconductor companies uh, and network Networking companies as well uh, may probably be the best companies uh, to capture the growth opportunities in this theme.
1: Yeah, and and you know I know I've I've talked about Nvidia earlier in this, but they're you know their CEO Jensen Huang, who's one of one of our favorite CEOs, just kind of for his vision. They had their keynote yesterday, and he says he envisions a world where there's trillions, not billions, of connected devices and and with that when he said that i was like what and then i i it's a fun experiment for you guys to go everyone do this at home can first of all try to guess how many connected devices you have and then go to your actual house and work and figure out how many actual connected devices you really do have cuz mine was twice as many as i thought of in my brain um where my tv and my my ring doorbell and my phone and my speakers It's all these things that we don't even think about. Like my son's this toy that my son has is a connected device now. It's it's kind of amazing, and semiconductors obviously are are the are the you know infrastructure that will power this stuff. Uh,
0: Guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw just uh, a little kind of disclosure here. Just don't do this as as a recommendation
2: to. We
0: have to do it. Um, but listen, you know, uh, Pedro, thank you. Like this 5G IoT theme has been one of ours and, and, and uh, at GK for many years. Yeah, and we're seeing it play through. But I'd like to ask you, for example, 5G has been a, all a talk, but Apple is coming out with a 5G phone supposedly in
3: November. Uh, IoT is not about the Apple phones, about much more than that, correct? 100%, right. IoT I- I- really... Really, the way I see it, IOT refers to to the idea that we have vast arise of cloud storage, we have a, a declining cost of sensor devices, we have declining cost of networking equipment, and we also have increasingly sophisticated algorithms that can analyze all the data that is being created by these connected devices. I think you're hitting in a key point. Internet of Things devices are not just smart for a reason or because it's fun to have a, a, a Roomba vacuum that, that helps you out at home. It's really collecting a lot of data from consumers and helping us and helping organizations to make better decisions about the future. You know, We're analysts, we're investors. We love to have data. We love to try to predict that what would happen in the future. So, so to having the ability to really collect and analyze a lot of data is very powerful.
1: Yeah. Did you see the social
3: dilemma? Of course, I did. I don't <laughs> yeah. agree 100% with a <laughs>
1: conversation for another, another talk, guys. That's another talk. No, no, I yeah. just, funny. Like, it's, this is important center to everybody's mind. And obviously, this is why we're having this talk, because with every, right, with every technology, we have, the, we have the good and then we obviously had the, the bad that comes with it as well. So, um, you know, when, when your Roomba is recording, exactly. Thanks for reminding me. I, I didn't count that in my connected devices, so I got to add another one. Um, but it's collecting data on your house, right? You know, like everything that's going on in your house. So it, it's just, it's it's kind of mind-blowing how we're going to secure all this data for the foreseeable future. For sure. It is. It is. And on the next
3: slide, actually, one of the most fascinating things that I, that I love to talk about here, you're seeing a, a chip, a Wi-Fi chip, that on the on the top left uh, side of the chart that you may find in a number of different, uh, you know, household smart devices like the, the 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 robotic vacuum that you just mentioned. That same chip was used in the first iPhone back in 2007, and it cost about seven dollars and forty cents per unit. Fast forward 13 years, the same chip cost about 10 cents. So that's yeah. almost a 90 90 percent declining cost. And talks about why we have a proliferation of connected devices. The image below shows a dime compared to the size of of these chips. And of course, you know these images are to scale. But essentially, that Wi-Fi chip is one tenth of the size of a dime. So. As you might get may have guessed, this is Moore's law in action, right? something that we still see that it, it's taking place in our, in, in, in our economies and why we have so many connected devices. Now, you know the question is how all of these kind of tech talk that we're having relates to, to the reopening economy. And to answer that, we, we have this table on the on the right side eh, because since now it's possible to have connectivity in many devices, we have noticed that connected devices are playing a very important role in the reopening economy as they're used to measure occupancy, density, take temperature readings, uh, even detect early signs of COVID-19 infections, uh, and all, all of it while allowing data to be stored and analyzed in the cloud so you know, organizations can keep track of all this data and prevent spreads by by taking immediate action. So, As you can see here, these technologies include sensors, wearables, drones, and and, and robots. So, uh, like you say, Internet of Things is really just more than a connected device. Now we're actually using to uh, kind of uh, help us to reopen our economies. Yeah. Devin, if we... Go to the next slide, really quick. Maybe we can talk about two kind of concrete examples. If we look at wearables, uh, you know, there is a large number of physiological metrics uh, currently capable uh, capable of being measured from uh, commercial wearable sensors. You know, and, and the power of wearable devices is that changes in these physiological metrics can be read by an early detection algorithm for for COVID-19 monitoring. So. Essentially, you have programs such as the one from Fitbit just three weeks ago, where yeah. over 100,000 Fitbit users across the United States and Canada signed up to, to allow Fitbit to actually detect and inform users for early symptoms of COVID-19. And actually, the study showed that all of these wearables uh, devices detected nearly 50% of COVID cases at least one day. Before participants reported uh, any kind of symptoms, so you know, imagine how important this is by allowing people in in, in companies to actually uh, take quick actions uh, and identify at-risk communities. So I think this is quite important and, and one of the use cases that we're seeing from 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 connected devices, um, sensors as well in. Uh, I know that we're a bit short in time, but these are kind of great examples. Happy to to share more with you. I mean, I, is the uh, the new Apple Watch I think has a blood
0: oxygen saturation
1: sensor? Yeah, it's I mean, yeah. it, it is seven hundred dollars,
0: but it, it, <laughs> we do all the stock for that for that reason. But it's it definitely uh, it's, it's a great way of using it. And and frankly, got mm-hmm. about politics, but we have done such a poor job in this country, you know, with COVID nineteen. But you know this this contact tracing technology can be made so so much easier with
3: with some of this technology. We just haven't haven't done a good job doing it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but you know, it's not only going to be about this pandemic. Future pandemics will have the ability to to you know to 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 be supported by by these type of technologies that hopefully will help us out to 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 you know. Take better actions in, in the future. Oh. Awesome, awesome, um, guys. If if you don't have more questions, maybe we can jump in into the video games and esports theme because I know we're a bit short in time. Yeah,
1: yeah. let's do that. You know, for those of you who who again have followed us for a while or our clients, um, you know that video games is a theme here at Gerber Kawasaki. You know the gaming. Um, we've done this in our past uh, you know webinars as well. Um gaming, you know, just like all the other things we talked about today, COVID was not the cause of it. COVID was the accelerant. Um, and and you know, I think you guys have some numbers here, but it's just, you know, it, it seems to me that especially with you know kind of the unfortunate demise of movie theaters and and you know, all this kind of stuff, that that video games are are not only here to stay, but might be the biggest entertainment venue in the world at this point.
3: Yes, sir. Well, it kind of, we're going to talk about that because I think what it's so important to recognize is that the video games industry uh, and esports combined, it's a very, very large market. As you can see here, we're talking about a $150 billion market that, just for context, is larger than the box office and professional sports revenue combined. Mm-hmm. So, even if we look at the, the highest-grossing video game ever on the, to, uh, on the top right corner of the slide, uh, we can see that GTA V reached $6 billion in sales, and this was back in 2013. But the highest-grossing movie ever, uh, Avengers Endgame, uh, just, uh, just last year, reached only half of that, right? So about $3 billion dollars. Uh, so we're really talking about a very, very large market from a geographic perspective. I think the, the U.S. is the largest gaming market by revenue. It's very closely uh, followed by, by China and, and Asia as a whole. Um, but it is important to understand uh, for uh, by investors that uh, this is a global theme with multiple companies uh, from all around the world, right? So I think it's important to recognize that that the opportunity is not only here or China. We're actually seeing a lot of growth in Latin America, Europe, all over the world. To to be honest, and I mentioned 150 billion dollars, but the revenue is actually expected to reach about 200 billion dollars by 2022. So clearly showing uh, the growth opportunities available in, in, in this thing.
1: Yeah, and and we're seeing more, more right? We're talking about cloud and Internet of Things, right? We're seeing video gaming increasingly becoming digital and cloud-based. Cross-platform now is what they're talking about, right? This is every gamer's dream that I'm not a gamer personally, but I know several of them. But everybody's been talking about being able to play your PC game on and your PlayStation game and your Xbox against each other, so that's coming. You know, you have you have Google and Apple and all these companies coming out with cloud-based, right, gaming systems and Microsoft. So we're you know it all kind of goes, it all kind of gets intertwined, right? Yeah, absolutely. Pedro, can you talk a little bit
0: about maybe some of the game engines? I know Unity is a, is a story that a lot of people are talking about. It's a new stock that went public. Yeah. Years here and there, um,
3: we have a lot of clients who are in gaming, so we know this space quite well. Yeah, Unity, recent IPO, the stock has done pretty well over the, I think it's been three weeks since it's been public. Uh, you know, you, you know, I really think that uh, the overall, the backend technology for video game publishers and developers is going to be more important than ever, uh, but even... At, at the very kind of a high high end of the technology spectrum, if we look at even consoles uh, that are expected to be released at the end of this year by Microsoft, you know, launching the Xbox Series X and their digital edition, Sony is going to be doing the same just in a few weeks, actually uh, in mid-November, we're going to see the release of these new consoles. This usually kind of it, it has spillover effects over the overall gaming industry. So if you think about it, What's the first thing that we all do when we buy uh, a new console, right? We buy two, three video games to actually try out that, that new uh, video game console. So what happens with that is that we have positive spillover effects over the, over the industry, right? So consoles are complementary goods to video games. Uh, and if we look back at history, we can see here on the, on the left-hand side that in 2013, that was the latest upgrade cycle where we we had the PS4 release and the Xbox One release. Now we're actually going to have the, you know, seven years later, the next uh, console cycle. But if we look at the 2013 to 2014 period and looking at the right-hand side, you can see that all of these video game publishers and developers, Activision Blizzard, Ubisoft, Take-Two Interactive, Electronic Arts, all of them outperform uh, the technology sector and the S&P 500. Again, uh, this is kind of very complementary, very synergistic. So when you have... Uh, the new consoles and kind of what you're seeing with Unity and and kind of Epic Engine as well, all of that is very synergistic with with the industry as a whole. Yeah. But you know the consoles, that's kind of a, just one more driver. If we look at the next slide, I think uh, Al, you talk a little bit about uh, cloud gaming, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that's a big difference that we're actually going to see, right? Because Uh, if you you start looking at the recent launches of Google Stadia, Amazon uh, announcing Amazon Luna, all of these big tech companies really want to take part on on the opportunity here. Uh, PlayStation is doing the same with PlayStation Now. Microsoft is doing the same with xCloud and Game Pass. Uh, So again, I really think that uh, just as Netflix disrupted the, the, the distribution model for movies and TV shows, cloud gaming could have a very similar impact on the video game industry. I think it's very powerful when not only you have a, the opportunity to play across different consoles or, or platforms, but imagine kind of the, the ability for you as a gamer to actually uh, play AAA games from your smartphone, stop there, hit the pause button, and then continue to play on your consoles, on your PC. So that incrementally is going to allow players to play more. And for video game companies in the video game industry, that translates into greater revenues because you have all of these microtransactions, add-ons, you're buying uh, new dance moves, you're buying weapons, new characters, all of that continues to add up, so it's very powerful for, for the video game industry.
0: Uh, let's give a shout-out to uh, Activision, who is our neighbor, actually, yeah. Literally, the next, door, next door to us. Uh, fantastic company, holding FGK, a lot of clients are ours, actually, too, so uh, uh, really excited. I think when you're talking about Pedro, is really the super cycle, right, where every four to five years, you have all these upgrades and consoles. <laughs> uh, very bullish on
1: the sector. Thank you for, for that. Oh, seven not. years in this case and it's been it's been a really long time so i think people are itching yeah 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 absolutely I, I think
2: I think it's often overlooked too that it's a it's a multi-generational theme it's not just millennials it's it's it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's it's a broad theme it's not just gen z it's boomers and there are people that want to be entertained that are no longer in position to go outside or do not want to go outside because games are fun. It's more than just Zelda. So. So, you, so
0: you don't think when we can go outside people will, will stop playing video
2: games? Let's <laughs> hope, hope so. But there's no really other avenues to entertain yourself if that's what you're looking for. So it's, uh, it's a really much more uh, impactful business than I think most people have given it credit for. Kind of a, a sleeper industry.
1: Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um. So so You know, I think we're running up against the clock here Um, and and, yeah, I think we want to have some, some time for some questions. Um, You know, this was all really great information. Again, you know, these are themes. Um, The reason we have global X on is because these are the exact themes that we think about. Also, Um, you know, we, we love gaming. If you, you know, Ross, our CEO was on, uh, did a very big event uh, a couple weeks ago with the wrap. Um, and Kara Swisher and, you know, uh, we did one with take two interactive CEO last year. So, so we know a lot about these spaces and, and we appreciate your guys' insight. Um, and so let's, you know, we have a, uh, you know, I have one question here, um, which I'm not sure I understand. So I'm going to defer to you guys. Um, and it says, what data architecture setup company for IOT is popular these days and for the next years? Um. So I'm not really sure what data architecture setup company is, but maybe that's because I'm just a lowly financial advisor. <laughs> well, I, I think we could get more context on that question
3: um, to, to be able to answer that. But maybe we can, you know, if if we get more color on the question, I'm happy to get, to get back to you guys.
1: Okay, sounds good. Um, I think, I think you guys did such a great job of explaining things that nobody has any questions because they're...
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, we we'll have a couple of questions here. Okay, let's, the let's most important one is, what is Pedro's accent from? <laughs>
3: <laughs> Very strong accent. I agree. I agree. Um, Italian parents, but i born and raised in Venezuela. Grew up in Venezuela, came to U.S. a few years ago. But, uh, yeah, it's, real, it's still a strong accent here. <laughs> awesome. No, Pedro, thank you for,
1: for that presentation. Yeah.
3: Obviously, this it university.
1: This is the most diverse uh, talk uh, in finance that you'll ever see with uh, <laughs> with three of the four names. No offense, Devin. Uh, yeah. I've been trying to
2: get Pedro's accent for, like, two years now. I'm just not picking up. <laughs> um, I, 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 uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, get it harder, man. Right? Work harder. Um so I have a question about
0: China, right? So I think it's front and center right now with with what's going on politically, but also China has some ma- massive, massive tech players, Alibaba, Tencent, and you know all these all these companies who are actually big players in IoT and cloud and so forth. And the and the question is right now: Do we are we going to have two different internets? We kind of do, but is that really the direction we're going, or is it are we merging at some point? And I, I mean, obviously, I don't know real answer. I'd love your insights.
3: David, I saw you wanted to answer that, or you want uh, to say?
2: Well, I'll, I'll, I'll point it to you, but you're going to see a continued bifurcation. Uh, we uh, run a number of China strategies, so we kind of look at that from like the local currency and the local shares as well, because there is a bifurcation in usage depending on if it's US listed ADRs or if it's overseas. but I think you're going to see a a bifurcation of the internet to some extent and there will be ways to capitalize on that and Pedro I'll give it over to you for a few more specifics but that is a long-term geopolitical theme driven by tension and driven by Twitter and challenges and it's going to be a really interesting one to look at in the coming decades.
3: Yeah I think we, we got a little bit of what's going to happen with the TikTok issue right? Uh, i think that that's not only a social media company it's a data company ultimately we talk a little bit about the importance of data so you know as data becomes increasingly important for our economies our countries i think we're unfortunately going to continue to see that bifurcation that devin was making reference to uh, not 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 really ideal for us investors but it's going to happen hopefully in in during this kind of the 2020s, we'll we'll get to, to, to get to an agreement and, and, and try to get back to uh, where we were before as far as collaboration goes.
0: Are they are they ahead of us? I mean, I try, I went to China last year. I was there for a few hours, not that long. But everything is up based over there. payment already. I mean, this was last year, pre-COVID. Um, so, I mean, do we think that they are ahead of us? It seems like
1: in, in some ways. In what sense, though? Because I think... You remember that they're building—they're building a new infrastructure, right? So we're building—we're almost like, you know, we're, we're we're building cities on top of cities, right? Like they used to, and and they're—they went straight from agrarian to digital.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. And so, so they have a completely new infrastructure. So are they ahead? Uh, I I think they're ahead in some things, and I think I think their government structure compared to ours actually lends to a faster adoption of these kinds of things, you know, the stuff that we worry about here, right? Surveillance, privacy, you know, our devices telling people about us. That's crap that the U.S., (laughs) that the Chinese government is going, yes, give us more.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's, it's tough to battle when you have macro level support as well as consumer adoption at the exact same time. And China has macro level support. They have policy support and consumer adoption that sort of in organically driven by, by by the government there. So it's, it's a real challenge. Again, so we go to the Consumer Electronics Show every year. A vast majority of those companies are Chinese, got Asian companies, and then by default Chinese companies there um, because they've moved from the agrarian to a consumer-led tech-driven economy. And there's a lot of industries there, like you don't really talk about China industrials a whole heck of a lot. They are making a huge renewable push and a huge push. I mean, that's part of the reason Tesla's got a battery factory in China. Like, they, they they they're pretty much going from 0 to 100 very quickly so they have i I may not agree with their their political structure but agnostic of that they have support for their technology and that's where i think it gets really interesting and it's an economy you can't ignore you might want to but you you really can't they're they're quickly becoming um you know the world's biggest economy so it is something to look out for and a lot of the companies that we own in a number of the etfs we just mentioned they are from china we are globally unconstrained when we are looking at the landscape. So it is kind of interesting to witness how quickly their market cap stalwarts are becoming almost as big as ours.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that's, I, I, lo- I love that global unconstrained. You know, we have these uh, these discussions all the time in our office. Um, you know, the more academic versions of, of investment managers love to talk about, you know, owning U.S. versus domestic. We had a very lively debate last week, right, Hatsam? Yeah, uh, we did. About <laughs> international... And, and what what actually constitutes an international company? Like, is it, a, is it international because it's from China or is it a company that sells 80% of its business to China? Um, is that an international company? So I think this sort of old world model, and this is kind of wrapping up what we've been talking about this whole time, right? Which is the way we all look at the world is where is the world going? Not where was it? What's the future versus what's, you know, worked in the past? And globalization has created, you know, despite all of, uh, you know, the attempts to stop globalization, you can't stop it. It's a runaway train at this point. Um, and, and looking at companies that agnostic of wherever they're from, like you said, if it's Tencent from China or Alibaba or here or, you know, uh, SAP in Europe or whatever the case may be, these are companies. But if you don't lack if you don't have a technology sector, we had this conversation about Europe, if you don't have a tech sector, you're probably falling behind. Um, and China does have a very robust tech sector. Um, and, and so does, you know, Korea and stuff. So we, we look at these companies for, you know, for people who are kind of trying to think of how we construct portfolios is we're looking, you know, on a global level, on an industry sector level and an individual company level um, and then where they do their business and then the themes kind of going forward and what, what, what we think the trends of the future are going to be.
0: So I think, I think right, we're right up to the hour. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Devin, Pedro, really, really awesome insights. Uh, It's awesome for us for the tech group to have you guys and and kind of keep the conversation going. I'm sure we'll get you guys back. There's other sectors we wanted to talk about, that's I'm right. actually surprised we got through the hour. Without talking about Tesla, uh, <laughs> pretty amazing. <laughs> I <laughs> <laughs> uh, but really, i definitely want to have you guys talk about different sectors soon. I really appreciate you taking the time. I love the work that Global X does. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for bringing us uh, uh, products and 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 really solutions that we could not find anywhere else. And uh, obviously, love the collaboration. So. And thanks to everyone else who tuned in. I'm sure this this thing will live on on YouTube and hopefully we'll see it more. And send us some questions and so forth. And, and that's it. Cheers, guys. Stay safe. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.